0: Hello, Tisha. Hi, Jen. How are you? Oh, well, the plague has caught up to me. I don't know if it's as bad, but we were recording on Wednesday night and it went long and I was exhausted because I was so busy taking care of of my, one of my kids who was very sick. So we're recording this episode a few days later and in that time... I have gotten sick. There's all kinds of fun coughing, respiratory, plaguey things that aren't even yeah. COVID going around our school. I mean, maybe there's some COVID there, but I think most of what I've heard, it's not. So I'm not feeling so hot right now. I'm not going to lie. Oh, boo. I'm sorry. Yeah, I feel like I was just talking with Logan because we had, we've had we had beautiful weather here for about a week, like unseasonably warm. Yes, I think all over like the northeast and i was just talking to logan at bedtime tonight because he's finally good he's going to school tomorrow and i was like we missed all the nice weather just so you know like the november nice weather he was like really and i was like oh yeah i'm like you have to wear a coat and hat and gloves tomorrow and he goes really and i said yep <laughs> ah it's hat and gloves time is it Boom. well i don't i mean why came in saying he was freezing cold when he was playing outside today. Mm-hmm. I think at least in the morning on the way to school, like they need to have. It'll staff. be colder. Yeah. Well, they need to, whether they want to wear it right off the hop or not, they have to.
1: Yeah. I'm going to need to get snow pants for my youngest because I kept looking, I was looking for her like snowsuit and I couldn't find the snow pants. And then finally I kind of said something to her like, mommy can't find your snow pants. And she says, oh yeah. Remember they ripped and you threw them out. So I guess I don't even remember, but I guess in the spring they had ripped and I threw them out thinking I'll get her a new pair in the next winter. And so um, snow was upon us and I do not yet have these snow pants. So that is on my to-do list for sure. I have something I wanted to talk about. I was listening to another podcast and the topics are kind of of a sensitive nature And I'm listening to this woman talk, and she is talking about um, how it is that she came to find the courage to come forward about a sexual assault. And as she's talking, all of a sudden, there's an ad for parachute linen sheets. And I'm just like, that's this is terrible. This is terrible. And it just, I was like, I have to tell Jen about this because it really rang home to me, this idea that we had in the beginning when we started this podcast that like, we did not want to have advertisements when we're listening to people tell their stories and they're talking about things that are of a sensitive nature. And then all of a sudden there's an ad for bed sheets, like seriously. Yeah. Um, Or whatever, whatever the ad may be. Um, There's no appropriate ad there. there. There's no appropriate ad. And that's why we don't have ads. But for listeners, it's also why we are always like, hey, join our Patreon. And hey, we have a merch shop because there are costs involved with running the podcast. And we are independent podcasters. So we are you know, absorbing those costs ourselves. And that's why we do it. That's why we're, you know, asking you guys to kind of support us in those other ways because
0: it's it's so schmarmy. Yeah, it, it can be really shmarmy. And, you know, if we had the opportunity to partner with the right brands or companies or businesses sure. where we could curate how the ads were delivered, and I'd be also, open to like, that but but no right in the middle of some no that's not okay but that's also like right how some the- platforms work and the problem is, is when you're independent you're, you're you're trying to make that money wherever you can and so I'm sure this this podcaster just was like yeah drop if you have ads from your marketplace to drop in my show drop them in because I'll make some money without being able to think all of those steps ahead
1: now we are um, talking and I am looking it up because I do not believe it's an independent podcaster. Oh, and, and also like you do, you have to think about what are you advertising? So um, the podcast, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, okay. The podcast said, I was listening to is called chasing Cosby. And so it's all about like the bill Cosby. Cheating. It's oh, all yeah. about the bill Cosby case and the, the stories of the women, whatever. And that's what I was listening to. And I'm like, I'm sorry, am I listening right now to an ad for bed sheets?
0: Yeah, that's gross.
1: When, like, it could have been anything, but also it was bed sheets. I want to talk about sexual assault. I was like, this just feels so wrong. Yeah. So it's Los Angeles Times
0: produced it. Times like do better la times what are you doing Do better do better seriously
1: i I was (laughs) i was anyways it just it hit home for me in the sense that it reminded me why it is that we had made that decision
0: it's and yeah yeah. it's why we have our patreon subscription which is like such a low fee and you're the funds that, from that directly support the show and we do the best that we can to provide additional content. You have a evergreen always there discount on our merch shop through our Patreon. That's why we have buy me a coffee set up so that you can make a one time donation towards the show. And it's why we have a merch shop, which is the same way of like where you're actually getting something for your donation to the show, contribution to the show. And we might even yeah. shout you out here. Yeah. Speaking of merch shop, I was thinking, because those that follow me or know me know that I do some direct sales. I sell for Beauty Counter and we're heading into what is like the busiest time of the year for me in that part of my life. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, do we need to have a little Black Friday, Cyber Monday promo for our merch shop? Would that, my friends, incentivize you to snag some Now what Pod merch. You need to let us know. DM us, email us, thenowatbot at gmail.com. Let us know what you would think about a Black Friday Cyber Monday deal on our merch store. I mean, I might order something. I know, right? We (laughs) We are so like busy and all over the place that we haven't ordered stuff yet. And I've been meaning to talk to you about getting us an order together. But that's yeah for when we're not recording. And now we're about to release an episode with the fabulous Anessa. I loved Anessa's story in the sense that
1: I think that she is a very good storyteller. Yes. Not that I love what happened to her, but I think think she does a really good job of walking us through her story. And, you
0: know, it's episode three of Bad Boyfriend Month. Well, here's the thing too. I think there's a misconception when we're like, oh, it's a really good episode. Yes. Because we do. We say that all the time. And I think it's because there's like so much good to learn from this person who's gotten vulnerable and shared their story and their learning and their journey with us. It's good in that it's a good listen. Also, I just want to drop in a quick content warning, there is talk of domestic violence in this episode. So if that does not serve you, just take care of yourself. Hi, and welcome back to the Now What Pod. I'm Jen.
1: And I'm Tisha. Today we are talking with Anessa and I have to tell you guys, I am so excited to be talking to her. And when we first logged onto the call, I was like, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity because I've been following her on Instagram for quite some time and I've been following her story and she recently shared really great news that I'm hoping she'll get to that part of her story as well, but she is a nurse and survivor. And advocate living in Austin, Texas. So welcome, Anessa. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. So I'll just let you start telling us your story wherever makes sense for you.
2: Yeah, of course. So I think my story, and this is obviously because of my amazing therapist. My story really honestly begins just the way that I was raised. I was raised in a very, very conservative, Muslim, male-dominated household. My parents got an arranged marriage. They have about a 13-year age difference. My mom got married when she was 16. My dad was 29 at the time. That's very normal. I was born in Bangladesh, so that's where they met. And back then, that was very, very normal. And My mom, although she did not want to get married at that age, she had to drop out of high school, basically. And, you know, there was this man who had the promise of taking her to America. Her mom was like, this is a great opportunity. You need to accept this proposal. So in essence, they did. She had her first kid at 17 and had me when she was 22. And then our family was complete after that. She kind of skipped her teenage years and went straight to adulthood before she had any time to process any of what her life meant. And, you know, we had a very kind of traditional family where my dad was bringing in all the money. He had kind of all the say in every decision, every financial decision, where they were going, what they were going to do. And my mom was the homemaker. She raised us, you know, my dad was there, but she raised us, right? And so that's kind of the house that I grew up in. And I grew up with always being afraid of my father. Like if there was any consequence, it was, oh my God, your dad is going to be so mad at you. What's going to happen? So I grew up not respecting my dad, but fearing him my entire life. And it wasn't until my teen years when I realized that that wasn't normal. Not everyone just feared their dad. Right. Because
1: when you're a kid, you just think that whatever your experience is, you think that's what's normal.
2: So you think everybody fears their dad. Exactly. Exactly. And it blew my mind.
1: Yeah. I yeah. think that, ha- I mean, not just that situation, but so many situations, all of a sudden we become teenagers and develop some autonomy and start visiting our friends' houses and having more conversations about family dynamics. Then we start going, oh, so your family does what?
0: Well, <laughs> right. I feel like we, t- we spoke with somebody recently and it's like, you only know what's in your own pool, I think is how she put it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's until you like swim in other yes. pools that you realize that oh they're not all the same yes exactly
2: and I'll be very very blunt I grew up a majority of my life I grew up in Canada and in North Dakota in America mm-hmm. and obviously there's not much diversity in North Dakota I spent I think 16 years of my life in North Dakota and so it was very isolating for somebody like me to be living mm-hmm. in North Dakota and uh, nobody looked like me nobody wanted to talk to me I was just very isolated And anytime anyone would talk to me it'd be more like a talk to me about your culture and how you're so different. So I would feel more and more isolated every time people would ask about my culture, because I just wanted to be like everybody else growing up. Right. And
1: they want to talk about what it is that makes you different.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So every little thing had to be about, oh, but how do y'all do it? And I'm like, I just got really tired. And I, I grew up (laughs) like starting to hate white people straight up,
1: Yeah. You're like, I don't want to be the spokesperson for brown people.
2: Exactly. I hated it. And I thought white people were like that everywhere, but it was just that part of town in North Dakota. So I was very isolated. And then I just couldn't get along because I couldn't relate. I had a curfew. I was in college. I had to be home by 10 PM every night, you know, and in North Dakota, there's not much to do, but to drink. And I didn't drink. So I would hang out with my friends, but then they'd always do something later at night. And I'd just kind of be at home watching Netflix every single night. So it was just very, very isolating and have people like me. And I feel like because of that, I got into a relationship when I was about 19 years old. It was my first relationship. And I kept it a secret for three years for my family. I had a whole life and a whole relationship and I just kept it a secret for my family. You know, it's because I feared my dad. We never talked about dating we never talked about relationship and in islam like you don't date you just get married so i feel like a lot of that just set me up for a lot of failure in about how i was going to have a healthy relationship in my life the only relationship that i was ever close to seeing was that of my parents and that was completely dominated by my dad right so long story short it's 2017 and i had just broken up with my three-year boyfriend in secret and i was going through heartbreak in secret in my room just crying every night and i decided you know what I'm going to get out there, go on the dating apps, and I'm just going to go wild. So I got on a dating app, and that summer I started dating around. It was a lot of fun, and that's where I met my ex-husband on the dating apps. So that's kind of where the story starts. We met on a dating app. I had flown to L.A. for a retreat for Greek life, and he messaged me saying, hey, you're in my town. Let's meet up. So I did go ahead and meet up with him, but the way that we met really shows how the story is going to unfold so you know I'm from North Dakota I didn't know anyone that was brown and then he was brown he's Bengali he checked every list that I had and everything that my parents would ever want in a guy like he checked all the boxes right right I remember I was just like sitting outside waiting for him to pull up in his car and all of a sudden I hear loud music he drives up in a Porsche convertible like hair done wind in his hair like perfect music and I was just so blown away by it I was just so starstruck that sounds very LA it's so LA and I was just like blown away and I found him so attractive and I got into his Porsche and I'm like oh my god like I'm living the dream right now yeah like yeah. this guy from the beginning was telling me the dream from the moment yeah. I saw it right
1: and he's perfect on paper
2: perfect on paper, looks perfect physically, you know. So I'm just like, oh my God, like this is amazing. This is the dream come true. And from the beginning, it was a red flag after red flag that I continued to ignore because he was selling the dream to me. And I felt like I could see a future with him because he was also from Bangladesh and stuff like that. And I remember the first conversation we had, he asked me if I was a virgin, like right away. And I was just like, why is that the first thing that we're talking about? But I was just playing along and we were just talking about that. But I found it really alarming that right away he started talking about what I've done sexually and just ended everything about my past and digging into me. And I could already see the double standard because he was saying that he had done all these things. But every time I told him I did something, he was getting a little concerned. But, you know, I brushed it off and... Every time I met with him, it was just like, he would be promising, like, oh, I could see a future with you, Anessa. Like, this is real. I'm, I'm so connected to you. Just love bombing me left and right, nonstop. And me being 21 years old at the time, I'm just like, oh, this is perfect. Like, he's the one. He loves me so much already, you know? And how old was he? He's just a year older than me. Okay, okay. Yeah, he was just a year older. His family was really well off. They had a lot of money and my family did not have any money really. And they live in a big house in San Diego, you know, and we live in a little apartment in North Dakota. So I was constantly just like, wow, like this is exactly what I want out of my life. I was also still living with my parents at the time, right? So I wanted freedom. And I felt like my ticket to freedom was getting married to this guy. How often did you guys see each other? How was he a secret? Yeah, so basically, we met in LA just like two times. And then I flew back to North Dakota. Mm. And while I flew back to North Dakota, he was calling me, he was FaceTiming me. And then within three weeks, we had decided that he needed to come and meet my parents. This is like super fast. Within three weeks, he's like, I I see a future with you. I want to move to the next step. I want to meet your parents. I want to be public about this. And I just felt so overwhelmed. Like you want me? I just felt so, 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 so special. You know, and another thing, a little key point is that he labeled himself as Muslim, right? And by saying that, like he had his own version of Islam that he was preaching to me. I think Islam is a very beautiful religion, but I do feel like he had a skewed version of it in a way to control me, in a way to manipulate me, right? So in Islam, you can't be dating, you can't be doing anything physical with anybody outside of your husband, right? So the best thing to do is when you both have the intention to marry, Then you go ahead and just get married, and then you date and do all this other stuff, right? Right. So he had basically convinced me that, in order for us to move in a life without sin, we need to just get married. Like that's it. That's where we need to start. And at first, I was hesitant, but I was trying to also be a good Muslim. And I'm like, you know what? What you're saying sounds right, and I don't think we're doing anything wrong. So you know what? Maybe we should get married. It kind of just like happened like that. He came and visited my family and then just started to force marriage on me, basically completely brainwashed me to thinking that I wanted to get married too for the sake of God and for the sake of everything that that was right. What
1: did your parents think when they met him? What were their impressions?
2: They initially didn't like him at all. They felt like, who was he? Why is he trying to do all this? All of a sudden they said, this is too fast. They forbade me to get married to him. They said, absolutely not. They could see right through him. And of course, me being love struck and brainwashed the way that I was, I'm like, you guys are missing the point. Like, he's the one. I started fighting with my parents over this guy that I knew for one month. It was just wild. And I think back to that girl and I'm like trying to shake some sense into her. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, And even talking about this, I'm like gagging. I can't believe I did all this. But yeah, I was fighting daily with my parents, trying to convince them that we need to get married. It was the right thing to do Islamically. I wanted to be a good Muslim girl. And, you know, here is this guy who wants to be with me. What's your problem? You know, day after day until eventually they just kind of gave in because I caused such a fight. Did they not want
0: you to go the arranged marriage route or they just didn't like him?
2: Honestly, my parents emphasized my education quite a bit. They wanted me to be a little bit more established. They wanted me to get my master's degree and find a good job and then find a good man and then marry him. They thought I was too young. You know, times had changed. They spent 20 years in America already. Their whole arranged marriage mindset was out the window they came here for a different life, but they thought it was too soon. They didn't trust him. They didn't know who he was. And they said, what's the rush? You guys can Mm -hmm. stay long distance and get to know each other and then get married later. But I wasn't having it. What really put the nail in the coffin was that I made his parents meet my parents over FaceTime. And they actually realized that they had a lot of similarities in the people they knew back in Bangladesh. And that's when their parents were like, oh, they seem like good people. I guess maybe this might work. And hence started the whole getting married stuff. So we had met in August of 2017. And we were married by December of 2017. Like full on married within five months of just meeting each other. And if you were to tell me that I would have done that back in like April of 2017, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. I was not ready to get married. I was not in the headspace. I don't feel like I was mature enough. But And you had previously dated somebody for three years. Right. So I knew that I wanted to date somebody, but he had completely convinced me to get married. And so we were long distance. He was living in California and I was living in North Dakota throughout this like five months. We weren't like constantly seeing each other. Right. So when he came to visit my family, we spent a few days together before he met my parents. And I remember during that time we were driving one day and he was peeking more into like my past and what I had done like sexually or how many guys have you kissed and how far have you gotten with all of them just going deep in every time I told him more, more detail he was visibly getting angrier and angrier because he wanted a pure girl who was a complete virgin right. And that wasn't the case for me. And I also did wear a hijab back then. So that's like the head covering for Muslim women. So I was practicing wearing the hijab too. And he kept saying like, I thought you were different because you wore a hijab. Like, I can't believe you've done all this stuff. And regardless of what he's done, I can't believe you've done all this stuff, Vanessa. Right. And I remember one time he got so angry while we were driving, he hit my steering wheel really hard. And to this day, my steering wheel still is a little dislocated where he hit it. And we were like in the highway that happened. And I just went full blown into a serious panic attack where we had to stop in the middle of the highway. And I, I needed to get out of the car and get air. And like my body was telling me, yeah, this is yeah. bad, Yeah, this is bad, this is wrong. And obviously, right after I'm so sorry, I'm going lose my temper like that again. And that's kind of what happens with abusive men, they start with yelling, and then they start with hitting things around you until they finally start hitting you. So that was kind of like strike one. But He apologized. I tried to run and leave him, but he apologized and eventually got me back with all the promises of our future. Another incident was when I went to visit him in California. This is like in November, a month before we got married. This is where he proposed to me. About 24 hours after he had proposed to me, he was going through my phone and he saw a picture of me and my ex on my graduation day. So it was just a picture of me with him on my graduation day. He saw it. He got super angry through my phone and then shoved me against the window of the car and this is the first time he had actually put his hands on me
1: Mm -hmm. right
2: and in that instant I felt like my soul left my body because I had just gotten engaged 24 hours ago and I had told the entire world already because I was so excited right right And at that moment, I got out of the car, I called an Uber, I was ready to bounce, like I was ready to leave. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Everything my body was screaming, get out, get out. So I called an Uber. And I was hiding in the parking lot, like behind a car, right, waiting for the Uber, because I didn't want him to find me. And then, you know, eventually, he did find me and kind of forced me into his apartment. And so I had missed my Uber. And in the apartment, he's down on his knees, like, And I said, I'm so sorry, like you're my future wife. I'll never do that again. Just like constantly, like begging on his knees, touching my feet, like, please, I'll do anything. So, of course, I am just overwhelmed with emotion. I feel like, okay, he really does mean it. I keep looking down at my ring, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'll stay. And then we just sat there and we just prayed about it. I seriously just think back to this and I'm like, oh, my God. I tried to run so many times. I really did before yeah. it even got awful. But, you know, after that, I and then I was leaving to go back to North Dakota in like two days. So it's just like, oh, no, I'm going to miss him. And as soon as I left to go back to North Dakota, I had forgiven him. I missed him so much, you know, and the next time I was going to see him was going to be our wedding weekend. We actually did hold our wedding in Austin, Texas. So, you know, now it's like wedding weekend. He came and like we're like planning this like little wedding at this like little venue and we're just like having the time of our lives. And everything was 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 going magical. You know, it's my my wedding weekend and everything. Throughout this process, what nobody else was seeing was the fact that he was severely emotionally blackmailing me, emotionally abusing me, such as he forbade me to have any guy friends. So I had to make sure I deleted all my guy friends from my social media and stopped interacting with them completely. But in return, he had girlfriends that he wouldn't cut contact with. And his reasoning is you can't trust guys. Okay. So I can't trust guys with you, but you can trust me. I would never cross that boundary with another girl. But you're a guy. Right. So you're telling me not to trust you. You're openly telling me not to trust you, but it didn't click in my head. Right. right.
1: Right. And it's that double standard, right? I can have female
2: relationships
1: outside of the marriage, but you cannot have male relationships outside of the
2: marriage. Exactly. And then stuff like, you know, he would log into all my social media into his phone so that whenever I got a notification, he would too, just so he can keep tabs on who I was talking to. But I, I wasn't allowed to receive all his social media stuff because he was just looking out for me. and He cared so much for me to keep tabs on me like right. that. Right. And that's right. kind of what I rationalized in my He's head. Protecting, oh, he so yeah. much. He's yeah. protecting me from the bad guys out there. I was with the biggest bad guy, but who who would have thought, right?
0: I feel like that's usually how it goes, though. You just don't yeah. know until after the fact. It
2: really is. It was extremely isolating. None of my friends knew what was going on with me. They were just like, okay, if this is really what you want to do, but are you sure? And I'm like, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, he's the one.
0: You said you went to LA for something related to Greek life. So you were in a sorority. Yeah. So you had a
2: ton of friends. Yeah, I had friends and I had guy friends and they were poof, they were just gone. I didn't have mm-hmm. any of those guy friends anymore. So fast forward to our wedding day, you know, we have a two-day wedding celebration. So the first night of our wedding, He we had this girl best friend and I had a hard time accepting that, but you know, I trusted him, right? So he begged me to make her a bridesmaid. So I did, even though I did not know her. And then on our wedding, like the day before our wedding, we're having a ceremony and then she went to take a picture with us and he went ahead and gave her a kiss on the cheek during the picture we were taking while I was standing right next to him. And when I tell you, I felt so disrespected because Mm -hmm. on any average day, like the relationship I am in right now, you know, if he were to do that, I totally get it because it would be a lot to do that. Right. But the fact that he made it such a big deal to like keep strict boundaries with people of the opposite sex. And for him to kiss her in front of everybody. On your wedding weekend. Thank you, right? So I went upstairs and I was just like, we're not getting married. Fuck this. Fuck you. I started like pushing him and like I started screaming upstairs and I'm sure everyone could hear. And then eventually he calmed me down. He talked me down and we went back downstairs like nothing happened. So there was just so many of these little incidents,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, and there was just this pressure of like, this is our wedding. So many people are here like. Everybody's watching everybody's watching so just shut up and get through it right i feel like a wedding is like an unstoppable train
0: there's yeah. this feeling that you can't get off even but you can but you can and and we have a friend who's been on the show who she got married to a horrible guy as well mm-hmm. and she is the friend that whenever somebody gets engaged she pulls them aside she's like are you really excited about this because if you're not we can just like take let's off run right now. we're out of here
2: <laughs> people need to know that they can
0: Yeah. Yeah. It feels like you can't. I mean, especially when you're like in the weekend or like everything's been
2: booked and the deposits have been put down. Exactly. I was not going to be stopped. I could talk about 10 more incidences where things were just off, you know, Yeah. but we did end up getting married and all his friends that drove down, we actually took a whole road trip back to LA. So it was like a three-day road trip and a big van with me and all his friends. And I felt like I was bonding with them really well, and I felt Mm -hmm. like really loved. Like the first few days were just magical. It was also very emotional because I was leaving my family behind, and it was just hitting me. Yeah, I was very very tearful. I was crying. I was like happy, but I was like really crying. Like I felt like my body was telling me like something's wrong. I don't think you're making the right choice. But I just kept choosing to ignore it and saying that oh it's fine. Like it's an emotional time. Whatever. We moved into his parents' house in California because he didn't have a house yet and they were basically living in a mansion. So I'm like, on the hills, this is perfect. I'll move into your mansion. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) me? In your son's Porsche? Yeah, like whatever y'all want. They had a jacuzzi, they had a pool, they had a slide. I was just living my epic dreams of everything that I wanted to and then slowly reality started setting in you know he would be dming other girls in front of me and I'd be like that's flirting he's like that's not flirting that's just how I talk to them just a lot of stuff like where I felt like he wasn't being emotionally faithful to me and we ran through a lot of problems but I thought you know like it's a transition in our lives of course there's gonna be some problems and I just kept brushing off and I got close to his family I got close to his younger brother and all that stuff and his mom was just extremely welcoming just from day one, you're my daughter now, you know, like overly welcoming mm-hmm. to the point where I'm like, oh, this is like a fairy tale. She's love bombing you too. The family's love bombing you. Do they know what's wrong with them? They are love bombing me. And to give a little background of his mom of who I knew she was, like five years ago was, you know, she was raising three kids. They were all very young, like 10, 11, 12, when their father died. I think about a year or two later, she got remarried to a man that was twice her age. But he was loaded and he was the only one willing to marry like in Bangladesh, somebody who was divorced with kids. Right. Because no one wants somebody who's divorced, obviously, back in Bangladesh. And so she got remarried. I think it was more of like, I need somebody to take care of me. And then they moved to California. And so his stepdad was, I think, in his 70s and his mom was in her 40s or 50s you know, so there's a huge age gap, but she was very, very welcoming to me. And I do believe that she had also been abused, at least in her past marriage. I don't think she really knew love marriage or anything like that. I think both her marriages were just out of duty. With that being her background, she really welcomed me. She had four sons, and so I'd be the first daughter. And so I think in that aspect, she really like welcomed me in all that stuff. So it was only like three or four weeks after we had got Married. That one night, I'm going to bed like any other night, and I fall asleep. And in that time, from what I gathered, he had actually taken my phone and uncovered my old messages from before we were together, before we were even talking. In like the last summer when I remember, I told you I was dating around and stuff like that. He found all these flirtatious messages with other guys that I had met with. And before you met him, before I had met him, before we had gotten together, before we were official, we were possibly talking but he saw the messages and just completely like blew his top completely to the point where I woke up to being choked and wow. to woke up in like your most vulnerable state you're laying yeah. next to your husband at night like you're the most comfortable safest spot in the world woke up to him strangling me and then just him you're a slut you're not who I thought you were like you fucking whore everything you could throw at somebody when you're like angry right mm-hmm. in my head I'm like what did I do? What did I do? And I could barely talk. because so I was trying to get his hands off me. And then he took his hands out. And he's like, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? And then obviously the rest of like the next five minutes was him just like beating me up. And after he was done, he just kind of sat up and he was like, look what you made me do. So after he had said that he just got up, he just walked out, He went downstairs and I'm just like sitting there just in shock in bed, like what had happened? You know, this fight, fight and freeze and I completely froze. It was just a complete like out of body experience. I remember like even when I talk about it now, it's like I'm like standing in the corner of the room watching it instead of Mm -hmm. feeling it. I don't remember feeling it. So I was completely frozen. And then he walks back up with an ice pack. Here, this is for your eye because he had punched my eye and it was already like bruising, right? He Just casually gave me the ice pack and just went back beside and laid down next to me. Like this like is he, a normal everyday. Like he had definitely done that before to other girls. This was nothing new. He wasn't surprised. He seemed so calm about it and no remorse. No remorse. And I, I just kind of laid back down in bed, like what just happened, and I just laid there and I just fell asleep. Did you know what he had found? Like yeah, he, okay. He was talking to a certain incident, certain guy a okay. month before that I had met him.
1: Right. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I knew exactly. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. I'm so sorry. I don't even know why I was apologizing it was before him. Right. I'm obviously very jealous, very angry man. I woke up the next morning and you know, this is like kind of, and I've talked about this in my TikToks quite a bit. And mm-hmm. this is the morning where like, I woke up and I went into the bathroom and it just hit me like what had happened. You know, my neck, I had marks, I had bruising, I had a black eye and I was just like, looking at myself in the mirror, like, who is this person? I was completely dissociating. And in my head, I'm like, okay, what do I do? So I text my friend, I'm like, oh my god, I think I made a mistake. But I w- I, w- I didn't tell her that I had just been physically abused. She was just like, no, girl, I think it's really normal to feel confused right after you get married, hang in there, you got this. And I'm like, you're right, you're right, things shit happens in marriages. It's fine. It had literally just been three weeks, you know, I was just like, what is this blip in my fairy tale that's happening right now and mm-hmm. I look at myself and I'm just like I'm like okay you know what let me just put some makeup on I'm gonna go downstairs like I'll figure it out and yeah, I just need some time to think his mom was already downstairs calling for my name to come eat breakfast right and so that was like when I had to make the, the decision like was I gonna cover it up or was I gonna go downstairs and show everyone what had happened and I think I remember looking at myself in the mirror and telling myself, this can't be my life. You are 22 fucking years old. This cannot be your life, Vanessa. And I kept saying that to myself. And I'm like, I'm just going to go downstairs. So I just put some clothes on and I went downstairs and I sat at the table his mom was like making food. and She's asking me how I am. And I'm like, just giving her like little replies, like not really looking at her. Right. And she was looking at the part of my face that wasn't bruised. So I was kind of looking away from her and then she sits <laughs> down and we start eating and she takes like a good look at me and instantly she's like what happened i didn't say anything i felt like if i said anything i would just start crying i didn't say anything and he goes like did my son do that i didn't say anything and instantly she knew that obviously he had put his hands on me and so right away she's like calling for his name like come down right now like what did you do and like she she starts backing me up like how dare you why would you ever do this to a woman this is not what i raised you to be and she was furious and then his stepfather came in chimed in furious like how could you what the hell like what's wrong with you and he said the words that I'll never forget he said you should be lucky that she's a Bengali woman because if she was white she would have called the cops and in that moment I'm just like wait what like you guys are just trying to make sure that I don't report him yeah like they don't look bad that's it Like, you're going to scold him, but y'all don't care. Y'all just trying to, like, make it seem like y'all have my back so that I don't talk. Right. Yeah. And I also thought for the first time in that 24-hour period that I had the option of calling the cops. Because after it happened, it wasn't in my brain to call the cops. You know what I mean? Who thinks about calling the cops on their spouse? Like, you
0: just don't think of that. And you're in shock. And 22 years old.
2: Married. And you,
1: right. You've just gotten married. You're living in a new city
2: with people you don't know. I mean, right. yeah. And the fact that it was my stepfather at the time where I realized, shit, that's an option. Oh my God, that's an option. And it just blew my mind.
1: Some women would
2: call the cops in this situation. <laughs> right. I'm like, what the fuck? You're right. He just beat the crap out of me. I could have called the cops. I should have called the cops. Right. I would have had a lot bigger case if I had done that. And that's why I talk about calling the cops all the time. I get why women are scared to do it. I've been there. But he said that. And that was like the first shock where I'm like, wait, that didn't sound right. And then my ex-mother-in-law, she forced him to apologize. And he did. He apologized. And I'm like, okay, thank you for apologizing. And then she gives me a hug. And she goes, you know, there are just some things we go through in marriages, but everything will be okay. So I'm just like, wait, what? Everything will be okay? Like, you want me to forgive him? You think we're going to move past this? Like, what happened to defending me? And now being like, mm-hmm. "You'll we'll get through it as a family. Like, don't worry. I got your back, girl. I mean, there's no way that she hadn't been beaten the crap out of at some point in I one of our marriages. I assume she had been abused at some point to be able to say something to another girl, especially yeah. like a younger girl, like, it's okay these things happen in marriage there's things we have to go through and move past it will make y'all stronger and I remember like I was just feeling so confused so lost not knowing what to do I asked him like why did you do this and he straight up told me you know at the time I really felt like you deserved it but I do apologize for raising my hands at you I'll never do it again and you know it's just a lot of back and forth and me threatening I'm gonna leave you but really, I just wanted him to fight for me. I didn't want to leave. You know, I'm still very much in love with him. And I had this like trauma bond with him too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's my protector in this new city, in this new life. I don't know anybody else. Where am I going to go? I do not know anybody else. And anyone that I have told about you has just said, we'll get through it as a family. This is the perfect opportunity to practice patience and to really show your love for your spouse. And yeah. I feel like so many women have gone through this time and time again. Just keep quiet and make your husband happy and all that stuff. And, you know, it had been about a day. I, I'd been pretty, pretty upset, pretty sad, pretty depressed. And I had decided, okay, he did it once and maybe he won't do it again. So I'm just like, okay, I'm just trying to see what our future would look like. And I, the morning after it happened, it was nighttime again. And his mom was like, oh no, you need to sleep in the same bed as him. The only way you guys are going to get past this is if you just move forward quickly. So she forced me to lay in bed with him after the incident the night before. And I was, again, super confused, but like, okay, like she's kind of my guardian now. So I'll listen her. I'll give it a shot. She has more knowledge about marriages than I do, right? So I'm perfectly playing into this scenario. And, you know, the next morning I'm just texting my dad and he told me, hey, I'm going to send over your car. What's the address? I'm like, hey, you know what? Don't send it just yet. Something was just telling me not yet. And I remember about like five minutes later, my ex just came up to me and just triggered and mad again about everything he remembered, all the text messages he remembered and all the guys he remembered. And he came up and he just slapped me across the face again. And I remember thinking like that slap probably hurt a lot more than the whole beating incident the night before because it felt like I had given him that permission to slap me. You know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. That's all on me. I feel like I gave him the perfect opportunity to abuse me yet again. That slap, I think, slapped all the sense into me finally. Mm -hmm. And that night I called my sister on the phone, just crying. And she was just like, Hey, what's wrong? I'm just like, I just miss y'all so much. I miss my life. I want to come see y'all. And she was just like, Of course, you can come visit us whenever you want. Let me know. I'll like buy a plane ticket for y'all. And I'm like, I just, I just really miss y'all. And I just kept crying. And she's just like, Okay, you don't like us that much. Relax. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. What the hell's going on? And I I I could not utter the words. I could not tell her. And she kept, why are you crying? What's going on? Are you safe? And I, I kept crying. And there was like a pause and she was like, Did he hit you? Like, it's so weird, like sister's intuition. Like, I don't know. And I just kept crying. And she just like, stopped talking. She was so upset. And she basically was like, all right, well, you, here's your plane ticket. Or you're going to come see me tomorrow. Like, without me confirming any of her suspicions, she's like, you are coming tomorrow. Yep. Get on the flight. This is the time. You're going to get on it no matter what. And, you know, I hung up the phone. I said, I'll think about it, right? And that whole night, I'm just like, I'm not going to go. I can't leave like my new life. I need to figure it out. She doesn't understand. This is my marriage. You know, I was having all these thoughts and I went and talked to his mom. I'm like, hey, like my sister wants me to visit tomorrow just because I didn't tell her anything. I promise. I promise I didn't tell her anything, but she just really wants me to come visit. And his mom was like, no, you can't go because then they'll start asking questions and they don't know the full story. You know, he didn't mean it. You can't go right now. Maybe go after you heal. I'm just like, oh, okay, maybe you're right. And it was kind of like a split second where I'm just like, I-, I promise I won't tell them anything. I'll wear makeup. We'll be fine. Just let me go. And she's just like, okay, if you think that's a good idea, you can definitely go. And I, I had decided I was going to go like two hours before the flight. And he's like, I'm going to come with you. So I think as an added measure to like, she better not out me, you know? And so he got on the plane with me. And in that plane, I remember us having this conversation, like, we're going to work through this problem. We're going to come out even stronger. We still wanted to be married. And that was our decision on the plane, you know? And at this point, I was still so severely scared of losing him. But at the same time, I feared the shit out of him. I was scared of him. It's this balance between I'm afraid of him, but I don't want to lose him. That's the trauma bond, right? That's the trauma bond. And we landed in the Austin airport. So when I got into the car, my whole family came to pick me up. They were so excited. And it was very dark, so no one could see anything. So the car ride home was like me talking to them. And my sister was just quiet. She didn't say a word to me. The car ride home. And then as soon as we got to the apartment, she just went straight into her room. And I'm just like, that's so weird. And at this point, I had healed a little bit, right? So I wasn't as blatantly like black eye. I was just still a little red, a little bit of bruising and I, I like, followed her into her room. I'm like, hey, Apu, and Apu means older sister, like, hey, Apu, like, I'm here, and then she takes a good look at me. She goes, like, what's that on your face, and then, obviously, I was, I'm like, yeah, like, you were right, like, it did happen, and instantly, she just broke down in tears. It's so sad to think about this, you know, she just broke down into tears, because, like, she's my older sister, and, and then my mom walks in, and I show my mom sees what happened and my mom just like completely breaks down right. This is like the hardest part of the story. Because like my family like blame themselves. Like, we couldn't protect you from this. It's our fault too. We should have fought harder into like not accepting this marriage. And right that end there, that's when all hell broke loose in the household. Cause then my brother-in-law came in, and then finally he walks in, everyone's in attack mode, like ready to fight him like what the fuck are you doing and he's like well you don't know the shit that she did before and they go like we don't care we don't care about anything who gave you the right to do what you did to raise your hand on our daughter right right and right away he was trying to defend himself and they just kicked him out of the house Mm -hmm. they didn't give him time to wear his shoes gather his belongings they just kicked him out locked the door and said just fucking go back to where you came from because you're not staying here for another second. And then in that moment I realized that I had lost him for good. Like I realized he was gone. Mm-hmm. So like I was crying because obviously this terrible thing happened to me but I was also mourning our relationship because I knew now that my family's involved that I wasn't going to see him again. So it was a very confusing night for me and mm-hmm. You know, for a couple of days, I was very, very quiet around my family because I didn't want them to know that I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back with my whole heart. I want to fly back to California and give it another shot with my whole heart. Well,
1: you had this whole dream life that you were planning to have with him. Right. So you're mourning the loss of what you thought it was going to be.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And It's so hard to imagine being outside of it. Like, why do you want to go back? You know, you're just going to get hit. From my end, I had so hard time explaining that I I really wanted to go back. But as soon as they had kicked him out, they took me straight to the ER. I got a workup. So this had been about 48 hours after the incident had happened. I got checked out. I had a very like swollen, restricted neck, and luckily there was no fracture on my skull or anything like that. But they documented everything, every little bruising, everything. When I got into the hospital, into the ER, and was being so nice and compassionate. And they were being like, Oh, I do have to let you know that we do have to call the cops in this situation. So, you know, I saw the cops came in and I was giving them my story and they're just like, wait, this happened once. They were just shocked. They're like, Wait, you're telling me this happened once and You came to the ER. I'm like, yeah. They're like, we don't see people like you here. We see people like end of their life, 20th beating here. -hmm. And I'm just like, like it was just getting worse and worse. Like my heart was breaking more and more because they were giving me a glimpse into the life that could have been me, right? Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the police and I'm like, wait, so like this happens often. They're like, you're a six DB call of the night broke my heart changed my entire outlook on this thing it happens to so many women it's so upsetting yeah to be in
1: that situation and hurting as much as you were and then for the police to say oh you're the sixth woman tonight we've heard this from then you're like holy shit like this is a fucking problem in
2: our society just like chills down my bones yes and the doctor was so nice she was just like, I'm so proud of you for doing this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. This is great. Little did I know that like, I was technically collecting evidence and I, I hadn't realized that mm-hmm. by going to the ER, I was building up a case for myself. You know, I just thought I was going in to make sure I had no major injuries, but I was building a case for myself. So that night when I got home from the ER, I was my family. I decided that I was going to report it. I was going to file a police report. And whatever happened, happened. But I decided to do it. And this is definitely with my family's help and all that stuff. Yeah. My family did not talk about domestic violence. It was not talked about in our community at all. It was something, oh, like women getting divorced is already taboo enough. But let alone speaking out about domestic violence. We didn't do that in our community. We had no one to turn to. We didn't know how to handle it. We didn't know how to talk to lawyers. We didn't have any money to get a divorce. So this part took a village. I had so many people come in, fly in to help me, give me advice. And eventually we figured out like how to file the police report and how to get a lawyer and how to get a divorce and all that stuff. It took 15 months to finally get a verdict. So like three times as long as you knew the guy. Three times as long as I knew that guy. I was married to him for three weeks and our divorce was final after a year. I didn't realize like you hear about like having to say your story over and over again. But when I tell you, you have to say every detail, every punch, every bruise. You have to tell it over and over again, whether it's like the police officers and then it's a the detective and then it's your attorney that you got to tell. It was just absolutely painful. It yeah. was dragged out. Like, you want to move on. But then every few weeks you get a call from your attorney or you get a call from you know, like, and it's just like, wow, over and over and over again. It took them eight months to find him. So he had actually left California. We couldn't find him. Was his family still there? Or did they all like, up? And, I mean, that's crazy. If they all just there. like, no one said
0: anything. They're like, oh, we don't know where he is. Right.
1: So he left California because he knew what was going to be coming his way, probably
2: this is probably one of the shittier parts of the story, but he was actually already pursuing other women. Of course he was. Yeah, of course he was already pursuing other women. And and I found this out, actually, after I started posting about social media, all these women turned up in my DMs like, hey, I know who you're talking about. He actually also abused me too. And hey, are you talking about so-and-so? Because actually this X, Y, and Z happened. And I'm just like, so what? he was a serial predator. He had raped multiple women. He had beaten a few of them. Had he and married anybody else? He had not, not been married yet. Okay. And the the craziest part was that all these women that would come up to me had my profile. So young, hijabi, Bengali women, like he had a type that he would serially go after Mm -hmm. to you know what you know what I mean he was a serial sexual predator basically what he was well and I think
0: likely because of what like his stepdad said like a Bengali woman won't say anything because it's not spoken about in your community
2: exactly and when I found all that out I realized this wasn't a fairy tale I was just on his list of victims is all it was and I slowly started to reframe how I thought of the whole thing and that luckily helped me move on quite a bit. But his family mm-hmm. like hit it all, I'm sure. And there was a point where his dad called my sister and he was like, is there any way that we can get her back? We'll keep her safe. Is there any chance that she'll be willing to come back? And my sister was like, no, what the fuck? What the fuck are you saying? You're not, she's not coming back to you ever. She's not even going to speak to you. Yeah. And he goes like, okay, well, is there any amount of compensation that we can give her? to keep basically to keep her quiet right they're offering me $25,000 so that I wouldn't report it to the police it was straight out of a movie and had they done that before they absolutely had right so they're accomplices and yeah. my sister was like not in my head I'm like oh my god Apple, we need the money like this divorce is already costing like $10,000 like we need it and she's just like no 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 no! we're taking this to court and if we take the money we're gonna lose our case like my parents, my sister was thinking ahead you know what I mean I was thinking about like right now we really need it okay I'm like I'll take it I, we already reported him. let's at least take the money and I actually did find out so I had separated from him January of 2018 and by February of 2018 he was already on dating apps meeting other women at that mm-hmm. time I was like mourning our relationship he was already like getting more prey right and a few of those girls reached out to me saying, hey, like, yeah, he, he wanted to get married really quickly. You know, I was a virgin at the time and he took my virginity. And then and then I found out about what he did to you and then I ended the relationship. And I'm just like, wow, he didn't waste any time. And then I think it was around May of 2018, so about four months after we had separated, he had actually already made plans to marry another another girl. And so, you know, when my family found out, they had reached out to that girl's family and was like do not let this happen this guy is a predator he's physically abusive he is still married please don't let this happen and her family was like oh my god thank you so much we had no idea and finally my sister reached out to the girl right and basically the girl was like I had no idea thank you for telling me and then a few days gone by and then she actually messaged me on, on Facebook messenger I wasn't doing any of the communicating yeah. Right? but yeah. she messaged me personally and message was the gist of you don't know our relationship I appreciate you looking out but he's not the same guy that he was with you so I'd appreciate you just leaving us alone and stop harassing me and my family and I was at work at the time and I, I just broke down at oh, work that's one of those notifications you do not want to see come up no and you know in that moment like you have to realize that you can't help everyone you can't warn everybody <laughs> And, like, I realized, like, I was hurt like, six months ago. I was her. Yeah. I was fighting everybody to be with him. I was not listening to nobody. Like, she's already too far into it. So for my own peace, I had to just let it go. I just, I deleted the message. I blocked her. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I realized, like, you can't help somebody that does not want to be helped. Right? Mm-hmm. And the only reason I got out was because my family... Physically got me out. Your family is badass. Everybody needs a family like your family. I always say they physically got me out. And then eventually my emotions caught up. Right. You know? Right. Then 15 months later, this is March of 2019, I had to go into court in San Diego because he kept pleading not guilty. He pled not guilty twice to the point where it progressed into a physical testimony in front of a judge that was a very traumatic experience because obviously I had to face him again. I went with two of my best friends. I didn't really want to go with my parents. I kind of wanted to just go with people I felt super comfortable with that I could look into in the courtroom when I wanted to look at him, but look at them instead. So they accompanied me into the courtroom and I sat there and I was like, I met my, my lawyer and he coached me through how to say certain things and it was time to get my testimony. And I'm like, I want to be like this badass that goes into court and you know, and he convinces everyone of what happened, but I choked. And then for the rest of the testimony, my voice was just shaking. And I think mm-hmm. it's because I knew he was sitting right across the room, just staring at yeah. me. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him in 15 months, you know? So mm-hmm. I didn't make any eye contact with him. I kept looking at my friends, but I, I just knew his stare was there. And then in one moment, I looked over at him just for a second. And he was just, smirking at me like nodding his head like bitch you're a liar gaslighting me to this day
1: yeah over
2: what had happened yeah luckily you know I, I said my testimony and then I was able to exit right after so I didn't have to look at or do anything else and I was taken into another room and then the strangulation expert came and she looking at the marks on my neck she said her piece and a few other people said their piece and then a month later I got the call that he had pled guilty And unfortunately, it's not the victory that I feel like I deserved just because he got off really easily. He pled guilty. He avoided jail time. He got two felonies. And I know that stays on your record permanently, but he pled guilty only because he knew that if this went to trial, he would 100% be going to jail, right? Mm -hmm. There's no jury that would believe him. I had pictures. I had medical proof. It happened. So he got off really easy. They didn't fight for me any more than that. They're like, okay, well, we, we gave him two felonies. So we're good. Case closed. So it was like a, a win, but also a lose at the same time. But that was finally when I started to like get closure. This is over. It's in the past. I can finally move on with my life.
1: Yeah. So did you feel stuck during
2: that 15 months? I felt so stuck. I felt like it was my whole personality. I couldn't get it out of my head. I kept thinking, what was happening? What's, what's going to happen? How is it going to end? Am I ever going to get justice? Am I ever going to get over this? Like, it was my whole life it was my whole personality. And it was always in the back of my head. I was so fragile. There had been so many times at work where I, I was working, and then I broke down, I was sent home, because the thoughts were too much, you know, it was consuming for, for so so long until finally, it wasn't. and it was Finally, it was done. And mm-hmm. I'll do it a hundred times over you know what I mean because I feel like I was the first girl who spoke up in this line of god knows how many women and I think like even if the girl that he's with right now even if she doesn't believe him there's a piece of paper saying this is what he did to you and these were his consequences you know right. so yeah. that that's what I think gives me the biggest kind of happiness from him biggest piece of closure from it but that that was the story and I feel like that's kind of where I began the next part of my life and my healing journey and just like this life that I've created after and it's so crazy to believe it's about to be five years you know I remember after it happened I could barely get through every hour right get through 10 minutes if I can get through 10 minutes I can get through 20 minutes and you just get hour by hour and I remember thinking like I just wanted to be a couple years I just I can't do this anymore I don't want to deal with this anymore and now, it being like five years, it's just like, you you really did that, Anessa. You did it. You go, girl. Yeah.
0: What's really interesting about that is somebody, I don't know, shared on social this like post-it note of, you know, five years ago, you only dreamed you'd be where you are now. And like for me in my position, I was like, where are all my widows at? This is just, like super triggering is this horrible and we all like yeah it was and then it's amazing to be talking to you because you're five years out and this is a dream where you are right now
2: you now this is all you could have hoped for at this point from where you were then mm-hmm. it goes to show like you don't really have a good view of life I've grown up you know I was 21 22 now I'm 27 28 you know getting into my 30s and it goes to show that I had so much learning to do you know yeah. I was so focused on this one small part of my life like I had to get married I just wanted some freedom you know like these little things and I'm like I have an abundance of that right now and I my life is so different from what I thought it was going to be and it's just so much better in every single way so it's yeah. just it's so much growth just I'm just coming of age too.
0: So throughout your healing, you had mentioned that it's through a lot of therapy that you are Mm -hmm. where you are now. What are some other things that were helpful for you processing Mm -hmm. through everything and getting you to this place where you are now?
2: So definitely, yeah, like the therapy thing, I had never done therapy before. It really helped me realize that it wasn't my fault. And that was first key to me accepting and loving myself was that It wasn't your fault. You were raised a certain way. You saw your dad scream at your mom your entire life. And so when he screamed at you, you assumed this happens in marriages. That's why you didn't stop it at the yelling, you know? And I, I didn't realize that this was learned behavior because of the way that I was raised and what was modeled to me, that this was somewhat okay. So taking that blame off myself was just huge. And luckily for me, that came through therapy. I also went to a lot of group therapies. I went to this one retreat where it, it teach you a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga, and just mm-hmm. how to regulate your body without medication. And I actually did go ahead and see a psychiatrist who also prescribed me medication because I luckily my sister like opened up her home to me. She just she had a seven month old. She was living in a small two bedroom apartment at the time and all that was available was her couch. And I gladly took a couch because I was so traumatized by a bed that I couldn't sleep on a bed for three months. So I was sleeping on my sister's couch for three months straight. And I couldn't get out of the couch some days. And I'm like, I know I have to find a job. Like I know I how to figure out my life, but I can't do it. And it wasn't until I started taking medication where I was able to get the motivation to find a job and, you know, get my life together. So medication helped me immensely. Yeah, I was also very much shy about talking to people. I felt so sorry for myself. I felt so pathetic that this happened to me. I felt like a fool. So I wasn't talking to any of my friends or family about it I was really shut out and it wasn't until I opened myself up to them be like I shouldn't be hiding this if I want to talk about this I should be able to talk about this because this very real thing happened to me so me being more open about it was definitely a huge part of my healing just normalizing the conversation about what happened to me about divorce about court criminal cases like that was so huge for my healing and lastly just like moving out and being independent. When I gained my independence in the real world as such as not living under my parents' roof, paying for my own rent, having a job, like learning how to pay my own bills, learning how like just the whole life works without your parents hovering over you every second. Just me gaining my independence made me realize that like, I didn't need to get married to have freedom. I just needed that push to go out and be an adult and learn all these things on my own. And I made so many mistakes along the way. But gaining my independence, I think, was so key to me healing. Independence, Mm -hmm. therapy, medication, yoga, all of that stuff, I think, it all together and slowly. But surely I I, uh, got the chance to experience new things and new opportunities, meet new people. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden like my trauma wasn't my entire life anymore so yeah i think that was definitely like my healing journey
0: yeah it's it's just so interesting when we hear stories from women that have been abused in some sort of way the shame that comes with it like the feeling mm-hmm. like it's your fault mm-hmm it makes me so
2: angry because they do it in a way to make you feel like yeah like you made me hit you your behavior determined how i treated you it was always you and never their lack of control so when you learn that when you when you were taught that for so long in such a very like high emotional relationship it's it's so sad it's so sad and it makes me so sad it took me so long to regain that control saying I didn't that wasn't me that was all you well I think also how you were talking about moving on your own
0: and doing all of these things like it it probably really did wonders for like your own self-worth and when you have a, like when you see yourself as worthy you're then able to see well no I'm worthy and I didn't cause that and I
2: didn't deserve that mm-hmm. exactly and that's helped me so much in just repairing my relationship with my dad where like I stopped fearing my dad once I gained my independence, right? You know, it was more of like our relationship completely changed. When I go to talk to him, I'm not looking for his approval. And if I hadn't gone through this, maybe I would have never, never had this new relationship with my dad. You know. Well, I think it's interesting,
0: like the way you described your parents and, and like their marriage and and all of it in the beginning. It was it was just interesting that they had in spite of the fact that it seems like their relationship is still very traditional mm-hmm. that they really embrace like Western ideals and didn't want you to get married to this person yeah. and, and then stood up for you. So vehemently. Yeah. Something that did, it sounds did. like is, is potentially quite common within your community because people don't
2: speak out about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I, that's really amazing. And, and yeah, you're, you're right. Because I I have to give my parents so much credit for the amount of progression that they have made, like, immense, immensely. Mm -hmm. I I really didn't think they were going to have my back like that, not the way that I was kind of raised, but to see them fight for me so much. And, you know, like, I know, like, we're not on the same page entirely. But the fact that they made sure I got a divorce made sure I never went back and then even when I introduced like my current fiance to him they were very skeptical of him they were up there like from the beginning they were like no 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 like they were so skeptical because they are so afraid of like yes you getting hurt you know and so it was good skepticism this time like I I completely understood it took them a couple of years to fully accept him you know like Samuel, my current fiance, he's not Bengali. He's Indian. They're a different religion, completely different cultures. And for them to like be so progressive about, hey, if he makes you happy, we're on board. Is That concept is so wild. I could have never expected <laughs> my parents to say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have to imagine for you, even trusting someone and deciding to put yourself
2: out there and date again was quite the struggle. It was quite the struggle. Putting myself out there like I saw red flags from a mile away now luckily like I had the support and I was I had gone through enough therapy where I wasn't just gonna fall into another bad situation right. I feel like I was really set up for success after that because my parents did everything they could to give me any sort of therapy my way so that I could heal they just wanted their daughter to feel better right and it worked because I could see you know red flags from a mile away every time somebody, rubbed me the wrong way or disrespected me like I I wasn't high alert and with my fiance basically we were really just good friends until the feelings developed over time he was definitely the first guy that didn't try to pursue me the second they saw me you know there's always that chase there was there was no chase it was just like a slow like learning to love him and get to know him and and I think that's really the the reason why it worked out with him because Mm -hmm. I felt safe For the first time, I didn't think I was going to feel safe from a guy ever again. I was very much against the idea of love. I didn't believe marriage was in the cards for me. I had just such a bad experience, obviously. And it took a while for me to realize that that was the trauma speaking. That wasn't really my heart speaking. So,
1: Yeah. I wonder what the response, like with your community in terms of being divorced, how did you find like with your extended family or like your church were they accepting of that
2: a lot of my family didn't really speak to me about it like my extended family they never really reach out to me like Mm -hmm. that they always just kind of talk to my mom about it It was still really hush hush so i can tell like people were very uncomfortable talking about it and that led to my shame about it yeah that's why yeah. it took me so long to open up about it because their their shame transferred over to me and I had so much shame around the topic mm-hmm. because it was just so negative. It was never talked about in like a good for her. She got a divorce. She got the fuck out of there. It was more like, right. oh, she got a divorce. Poor girl. Your life is over now. It was just a lot of that. I realized my status changed in my society. And then it was just like, wow, I grew up like trying to impress all these people my whole life. And this is like, all I, I am. What? Yeah, oh, what? they just threw me away yeah. like I was trash. So I think a another part of my healing journey was just saying fuck you to the community and be like, I know what my worth is. I don't need y'all to tell me who to be yeah. with or yeah. what what it is that I am. What made you
1: decide to be so public about this story in terms
2: of like TikTok and Instagram and all the social? Yeah, media? definitely COVID. Okay, super lonely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've always been the type of person I've always been really creative I've always made videos for fun and then he was my boyfriend at the time but Samil was like hey like why don't you start posting on social media like there's this new app it's called TikTok it could be a lot of fun I think you'd be really great at you're super creative so I got on the app and then one day I was really struggling mentally I was still dealing with it back in 2019 and uh, I just decided to post a funny like humor video about just like being divorced and DB and instantly like I had all these people just like come forward with their story and be like I relate to you and this was like the first time in two years where somebody related to me because they had gone through what I did
1: and we're talking about it because there's people you know who have been victims of domestic
2: violence that aren't talking to you about that yeah they would not talk about it and so I just yeah. felt like I felt so empowered because I had other people validate me that had actually gone through it. That was the key thing. They had gone through it. So I felt their empathy and instantly I'm just like, oh my God, like I feel, I feel so powerful. I feel so great. I actually feel strong now, you know? And then, you know, I, I started talking to all these women, all these women DMing me like hundreds and hundreds. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I was so alone, so isolated for so long. And there was a single person who looked like me who could say they had been through what I had been through. Mm-hmm. And now there's hundreds of brown women in their 20s. Yes, I went through DV. Yes, this happened. Yes, I also went through court. I'm tired of being crying about this. I'm going to share it. And I'm going to create a community. And mm-hmm. over time, like, the more I share, just, like, the more more people that I met and it just kept me going. Like I started something and it kept me going and it was a big part of my healing journey after the fact after I thought I had already like healed, right? Yeah. It was this, this new chapter in my life where I was healing even more through the stories of other women. And yeah. that's that's basically how my social media and TikTok and everything started. And I'm so glad that it did. Well you found community
0: and you were able to feel less alone in your experience. Exactly.
2: And the amount of women that have reached out and said, I thought I was the only one, too. Yeah. You sharing your story really helped me realize that I'm not this pathetic loser in this community who got divorced. I have nothing to be ashamed of. And so many women, like, I'm currently going through this. Your story gives me hope more. I want to be a voice for those people who thought they were me, you know, who thought there was no one else like them and who had given up hope, who don't have the family to support them who don't have the resources, you know, I got very lucky and I was very fortunate to do that. But like the women that are watching who have children, you know, who, who don't have a family nearby, what are they going to do? You know, but if they lose hope that it's over, you know, so at least hopefully I can give them some sort of hope that your life is worth pursuing outside of this.
0: Right.
1: There is so much power in sharing our stories. Right.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it can be far-reaching as you've touched upon the other thing you touched upon that I thought was kind of profound was this idea that we can think we're done healing and then still continue healing. Like it's not this start and finish where you're just like, okay, and now I'm done healing. Mm -hmm. Things can creep up. They can come up when you're not expecting them or all of a sudden, you know, Someone reaches out to you and you're like, Oh wow, that felt good. Actually, I think I might have healed a little bit more there. Mm -hmm. And we hear that, I think, in a lot of stories that we've heard in the year and a half we've been making this podcast
2: is just how it's not finite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have to take a few steps back every time you step forward. That's that's the healing journey, that's how it goes. Thank you so much for
1: sharing your story with us and you know as someone who's been watching you and I know you're like I hate when people say this but like as someone who's been following you for I guess I've been following you for probably two years or something I have to say that when you announced on social media that you had gotten engaged I was very happy for you
0: congratulations yeah it
1: like it just and I'm sure that all of your fans who are following you had that same kind of that same kind of feeling and not that it's not that it's closure, but it's just nice to see that you are, I guess, in a healthy, happy relationship and learning to
2: believe in that again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I right. mean, even for the longest time, I didn't think it was going to happen for me, you know, and right, I see it in all the comments and I see in everyone that's reached out to me personally, like it feels like genuinely, like we are so proud to see this and, And so many people have still said that it gives me so hope that maybe I can find somebody new. Maybe I'm not worth this. You know, maybe I I deserve a happy ending too. And this is a happy new beginning, right? And I feel kind of like that full circle moment after posting that. So I really appreciate you saying that. But thank y'all for having me. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your
0: ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.